Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Corey Walsh Podcast, part of the Extended Cut. Uh, today, we'll be doing an episode on uh, the, doing a redraft of 2011's NFL Draft. Um, that this is the draft that basically included some of the greatest players in the game we have today, like Julio Jones, Von Miller, with some other notable names like Cam Newton and Andy Dalton. And we'll also follow it up with a little bit of a mailbag afterwards. And uh, overall, it should be a very good episode, and I hope you enjoy. So for the 2011 draft, it was really the first time the draft was somewhat changed because for the first time since the AFL-NFL, the time of the 1960s, the draft actually took place this year before any offseason movement would allow any like free agency to necessarily start. Free agency would normally set and determine what players needed in April or May, but that hadn't taken place yet. So this put a lot of teams in unnecessary territory. Uh, they had to really kind of go off of what they had for holes while also trying to think of what they wanted for free agency. And uh, fortunate for these teams, though, after looking at it, you'd be surprised how much top-tier talent was in this draft. And uh, that's what we're going to dive into right now, starting with the Carolina Panthers at the number one pick. As we all know, the Carolina Panthers selected Cam Newton with uh, their first overall pick, the quarterback from Auburn. And when I revised this pick, I decided actually that we're going to stick with Cam Newton. Because say what you want about Cam today and how his career has kind of turned out being injury-prone, but what he really brought to this Carolina team was rejuvenated energy and he really just carried the the staff I guess you could say for this Panthers team for his entire career there he's the face of the franchise he really just and it, you could really say in that Super Bowl to Denver season where he infamously did not go for the uh, fumble he was that year was probably the most exciting year in Panthers history I mean he brought the MVP with basically what was honestly described as the least impressive Super Bowl or um, pro, uh, MVP stat line of all time. But at the same time, what he really, his record was 68-55-1. I mean, like a, just about a 60% completion percentage, 182 touchdowns through the air and 108 uh, interceptions. He, he really did a lot for this franchise. And I think it would be very unfair to say that his impact in Panthers history is uh, not important enough to justify him going at one. So he's going to stick at one. Sorry to be boring again here, but we're going to have the Denver Broncos at two. And they picked Von Miller, uh, the often outside linebacker from Texas A&M. And with this revised pick, I also think that they should have probably kept Von Miller. So Von Miller, uh, eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, Super Bowl champion. In 2011, his uh, rookie year, he won defensive rookie of the year and overall he has just been a terror to any quarterback that he's faced he's been the stalwart of the Broncos defense for as long as he's been there it's a pick that they still have today and they're getting massive production out of they're still trying to pair him up with uh, Bradley Chubb and he was a th real terror with DeMarcus Ware when that defense was basically in its prime he's the reason that Denver has been defense first throughout their ten his tenure there in my opinion and that's a pick that they definitely would not rather have back. All right, Buffalo Bills at three. Uh, they originally picked Marcel Darius, uh, defensive tackle from Alabama. I uh, He's had a very solid career. It's a little up and down, so I'm going to go with a player that's been all up despite a few injuries along the way, and that's defensive end J.J. Watt from Wisconsin. 
He was originally taken 11th by Houston. Uh, J.J. Watt, uh, five-time Pro Bowl or five-time All-Pro, 2012 AP Defensive Player of the Year, uh, 2014 AP Defensive Player of the Year, 2015 AP Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he is also known to just be an absolute force. He basically made the Houston's defense even important. He, he honestly is the reason that these terrible Texans teams that you've seen before, Deshaun Watson, have even made it into the conversation of contending for a playoff game. He's faced – he terrorized Andy Dalton when they would play. He's terrorized everyone, no matter the stage, no matter when. And uh, Buffalo would be super blessed to have him right now, seeing as Marcel Darius is also no longer on the team. All right, number four, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they originally picked A.J. Green, wide receiver from Georgia. Uh, A.J. Green is great. He's phenomenal. But I think there's one receiver that's way, that's better ahead of, that was taken behind him, and that's Julio Jones, wide receiver from Alabama, who was taken with a sixth pick by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Julio Jones, great career. Um, he is a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. He has... 57 touchdowns, over 12,000 receiving yards in his uh, seasons with Atlanta. And also, he um, I'd say he's more durable than A.J. Green. I don't think that's a slight against A.J. Green at all. This isn't saying A.J. Green's a bad player whatsoever. But I would. this is like a, a flip of the coin, kind of who would you prefer. And I honestly prefer Julio Jones over A.J. Green. Just uh, I think his production overall has been better. A.J. Green has more touchdowns, but the difference in yardage between Julio Jones and A.J. Green is pretty big, I would say. And I'll talk more about A.J. Green in a few picks. Um, so the fifth pick was the Arizona Cardinals, and they picked Patrick Peterson from LSU with their fifth pick. Patrick Peterson, also great. I'm. This is also, in my opinion, a preference situation. I'm going to pick uh, Richard Sherman instead, who was taken fifth in the fifth round, uh, the 154th pick by Seattle. Richard Sherman, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, uh, leader of all the defenses he's basically been on, for better or for worse. Patrick Peterson, I just don't think, has the uh, – success overall that Richard Sherman does Patrick Peterson is just as accoladed as Richard Sherman but I there Richard Sherman literally has quarterbacks completely avoid him and you don't really hear of uh, the same narrative being said for Patrick Peterson he's still like he is definitely a top five corner in the game as long as I've watched it but I think Richard Sherman's just a little step above so once again this is like an AJ Green Julio Jones flip of the coin type situation so that's the reason why I will be going with uh, Patrick Peterson. All right. Um, Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones was their pick originally. Uh, we're going to go to A.J. Green again. Uh, A.J. Green, first round, fourth pick, Cincinnati. So here's this difference in yardage I was talking about earlier because Julio Jones had over 12,000 yards. A.J. Green also has like about 8,900 yards. He does have 63 touchdowns to Julio's 57, but I don't think the six-touchdown difference is enough to have the opinion that Julio Jones isn't better because, I mean, it's like a 3,000-yard difference between yardage between the two of them. Also, the catch difference, it's like 
Julio has 797. AJ Green, 602. AJ Green has kind of trailed off a tiny bit in past recent memory. Also, he's been on worse teams. So, like, how much of that is just garbage time? I have to think. Julio Jones was on an Atlanta team that has competed for an NFC title or a Super Bowl a fair more amount than A.J. Green, whose team has barely made it into the playoffs most times. Now, that's not an insult to A.J. Green at all. You can't. I'm not saying that that's why he's lower. He's also Julio has played 126 games, and A.J. Green has played 111. So it's really like nitpicking on who you'd prefer, and I just think A.J. Green was second out of those two. All right, San Francisco at the seven. Uh, they picked Alden Smith out of Missouri, who was a great defensive tack- defensive end for their first year. Uh, he was terrorizing teams. He made an all-pro team. Um, however, as we all know, he kind of trailed off with uh, off-the-field issues. So instead, I'm going to have them take Patrick Peterson. So he's going to stay in the division. He's just going to wear uh, the gold and red. Uh, Patrick Peterson... First round, fifth pick, Arizona, eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, also exceptional punt returner for when he used to do it. Uh, he's also been known to uh, really enjoy winning, and San Francisco was just on their about to hit like their apex at that time. So I would say that's a, a pretty good pick for them. Their corners were a little suspect at the time. Um, so this is going to be, I think Chris Culliver was their one. So adding Patrick Peterson to that defense with, um, having that prime defense of Justin Smith and, uh, Navarro Bowman in it and, uh, Patrick Willis, that's going to be a really good defense that would still be dangerous today. And who knows, maybe Richard Sherman would still go to San Fran, but who knows? Uh, Tennessee Titans, they originally picked Jake Locker, the quarterback from Washington. I personally loved Jake Locker, and his career was very short. He wasn't terrible. He was definitely getting into his own right as he got injured. That was unfortunate. The Titans, I'm not going to have them pick a quarterback because this quarterback class on paper actually isn't that great. It's like pretty eh. You're not going to get – it's not a deep class whatsoever. I only see three viable options in this draft being uh, Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, and Colin Kaepernick. So instead, they're going to take Justin Houston, the linebacker from Georgia, Kansas City stalwart. They took him in the third round, the 70th pick, the Kansas City Chiefs. Four-time Pro Bowler, first-time All-Pro. He, um, he's he been a sack machine for that defense. He's been a He just terrorizes people. I know I've been saying terrorized a lot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, 90 sacks. 352 tackles, 118 games. You can't beat it. That production, the Chiefs got all they could out of him, and uh, now he obviously is on the Colts. But overall, he has had a fantastic career, and I don't see the Titans being upset getting Justin Houston with the eighth pick. Okay, Dallas Cowboys, they originally picked Tyron Smith, the offensive lineman from UFC with the 10th pick. I hate to be boring here, but I think that is the perfect pick for them because he is still a great stalwart of their offensive line. And they're going to pick him again with my revised pick. He's a seven-time Pro Bowler. He has two All-Pro teams. You can't argue with substi- like just pure class. He, um, he really helps that offensive line. I would probably say he's the leader, seeing as he is the most experienced on that team. Um, 
you you've seen the Dallas Cowboys narrative for years has been how great that offensive line is. You could argue that it started with Tyron Smith being the uh, focal point initially, and it's what caused them to take their other great ones like Zach Martin and Lyle Collins. All right, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they took Blaine Gabbert at the 10th pick, uh, the quarterback from Mizzou. Yes, that Blaine Gabbert, probably the lowest. He lowered the bar for how bad quarterbacks could really be in their rookie year. He was atrocious. Um, not his fault also because, I mean, the quarterback, any quarterback going into that Jacksonville team was going to be terrible. Jacksonville has just been a dumpster fire, except for that blip during the Blake Bortles era where they went to the AFC Championship game and arguably could have gone to the Super Bowl if they didn't blow it. Um, so I have them taking defensive end Ryan Kerrigan for Purdue, who was the 16th pick originally taken by Washington here. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan, four-time Pro Bowler. He, uh, 140 games, 90 sacks, 321 lone tackles. I mean, he also, he's just, a, he's been so good for the Redskins. They haven't needed to get rid of him. He also plays basically like every game he's ever, like all season. It's very rare he misses a game. And you can't argue with a player who stays on the field and still produces consistently. J.J. Watt was originally taken here by the Houston Texans at 11. Uh, we're going to... Due to J.J. Watt being taken, I revised their pick to be Cam Jordan, the defensive end from California, who was taken 24th overall by the New Orleans Saints. Cam Jordan, five-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, um, 144 games, 87 sacks, 312 tackles, 10 forced fumbles. Uh, Cam Jordan, still a great player on the Saints today. Uh, great leader on that defensive front. Great locker room guy. Uh, the Texans are losing out on J.J. Watt, who is a guaranteed Hall of Famer. Cam Jordan is pretty close to that echelon, I'd say. He's been very good for a very long time. And um, he also had the meme with Jordan Cameron, which is completely uh, useless information. But at the same time, you know, it's something that people forget about when that was the situation. I remember there was an NFL.com segment where they were like, oh, Cam Jordan or Jordan Cameron, and that's when you knew it was the offseason and they completely ran out of topics to talk about. And uh, with that, we're just going to move on to the 12th pick, which is the Minnesota Vikings, where they decided to take the savior of their franchise, as they once presumed, and uh, that was Christian Ponder. Yeah, he, he lived up to that bill, 100%. No, he was probably one of the more limited quarterbacks we've ever seen. But that being said, Christian Ponder, overall, from what I've heard, is a great guy. So that is a plus for him, I guess. And his wife's on TV. Good for you, Christian. Maybe you were the stepping stool your wife needed to succeed. But she's very talented, so she probably could have done that on the road. So you're gonna, the Vikings, I decided, you know what, they probably needed a quarterback at this point. I mean, they were just coming off of the Brett Favre years, and they needed a little spark to their franchise. So why not dabble and take uh, Andy Dalton, Red Rifle, who arguably actually is the more productive quarterback in this draft class of anyone else. So Andy Dalton, what's fascinating about him is that he was um, – he, according to uh, Pro Football Focus, was the most productive quarterback in this class through his six seasons. He also, he basically doubled the production of Cam Newton in only the regular season. And that's Andy Dalton's gripe, really, here, is that he, uh, he really never really got to that next step. He was a great regular season quarterback. He immediately was an impact player for these Bengals. Him and A.J. Green were an awesome duo for them for a few years. 
And honestly, I feel like the Vikings would not be upset having Andy Dalton. I mean, could you argue that there is that much of a difference between Andy Dalton in those first six years and what they're getting out of Kirk Cousins right now? Why not just make that process way easier for them now so they can have this quarterback? (laughs) I mean, yeah, Andy Dalton just got cut inside by the Cowboys, which we'll talk about. But that's only because the team was bad around him. I personally believe Andy Dalton could still be a decent starting quarterback in this league. I'm not saying great, but he's not terrible. So Andy Dalton, I think Vikings fans would be pretty happy. 70, 61, and 2, 24 touchdowns, 118 interceptions. That's not bad at all. All right, Detroit. They picked Nick Fairley here, the defensive tackle from Auburn. I liked Nick Fairley a lot, actually. Nick Fairley, I always thought, was one of those players that because he was on Detroit, he was going to thrive next to Sue. And I thought they were just going to make that Detroit defense just super scary. But Nick Fairley kind of didn't pan out. He showed flashes overall of being a pretty good defensive tackle. He hopped around the league for a little bit. So I'm going to have him take uh, Titans star Jarrell Casey, the defensive tackle from USC. He was taken in the third round, the 77th overall pick by Tennessee. He played 140 games so far. Um, He has 51 sacks. That's pretty good for a defensive end slash tackle. Uh, 325 tackles overall, five-time Pro Bowler, great player, Jarrell Casey. Get the, the Lions would get what they were assuming they would get with Nick Fairley, a great compliment in the Dominican Sioux, and something that would probably cause Aaron Rodgers more trauma than him just getting harassed by the Dominican Sioux on Thanksgiving night. All right, the 14th pick here is the St. Louis Rams, and they took Robert Quinn, defensive end from North Carolina. I have them still taking Robert Quinn, defensive end, North Carolina, based on the board. Of that's what they were looking for. I mean, two-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro. Robert Quinn was really good. He's been on and off really good for his whole career. He had a breakout year a few years back. He uh, he's just been a he's been a force when they had Chris Long. He's been a force by himself. He not, he was pretty good overall. I mean, you just I know he's been around the league a little bit in the second half of his career, but 80, 80 uh, sacks is just super impressive. I mean, twenty. 226 tackles. He's played in 125 games. I mean, you just can't beat this. The Rams did not strike out picking Robert Quinn. So them taking him again, I don't think is any bad choice. The Dolphins here picked Mike Pouncey at the 15th pick, the guard from Florida. I have them staying on the offensive line, but I have them taking Jason Kelsey, uh, a center from Cincinnati who was taken in the sixth round, 191st by the Philadelphia Eagles. Three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, Super Bowl champion. I mean, he's probably been arguably the best center in the league for, I don't know, the past six years. So the the Dolphins, who their main issue has always been offensive line. Mike Pouncey was very solid for them, but obviously he is no longer with them. He's on the Chargers. Jason Kelsey has been on the Eagles the whole time. He is by far their heart of their O-line, unless you want to argue it's Jason Peters. But Jason Kelsey, overall, super solid pick. I mean, the Dolphins would totally have their quarterbacks not end up on their ass like the whole time, like Ryan Tannehill was for his career, or maybe Chad Henney, I guess. (laughs) All right, the 16th pick, Washington Redskins. They originally picked Ryan Kerrigan, the linebacker from Purdue. I have them taking Cameron Hayward, the defensive end from Ohio State, with the 31st. That was taken with the 31st pick by Pittsburgh. Overall, three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, 54 sacks, 134 games, 257 tackles. Another solid defensive end. This was a very good defensive end draft class, I have to say. 
like when you look at the amount of all pros and pro bowlers on this team, it's pretty high. I know the pro bowl in the NFL is kind of like a question mark, more of a popularity contest. But at the same time, you have to look at the numbers of this defensive end class and just be like, wow, this was a super deep defensive end class. And overall, it was really top heavy, but I wouldn't say it was the most deep class ever. All right, 17th, New England Patriots. They took Nate Soldier, the tackle from Colorado. I have them still taking Nate Soldier, tackle from Colorado, because, I mean, he was the left tackle for them in two Super Bowl championships. I know he's on the Giants now, and he hasn't been as good. But if you're taking it from the Patriots' perspective, I'm pretty sure they're very happy with what they got out of Nate Soldier for what they had with him. All right, San Diego Chargers. God, that sounds better than the Los Angeles Chargers, but they probably still have the same amount of fans, so... Um, lost it. the San Diego Chargers took Corey Legit, uh, the defensive tackle from Illinois. I have them now taking Marcel Darius, who was the third pick overall in this draft. Corey Legit is not a bad p- tackle at all. I just thought Marcel Darius, when he was at his highs, were better. Uh, he's a two-time Pro Bowler, a one-time All-Pro. And those All-Pro years, he was so good for the Bills. And uh, his Jaguars career has been a little up and down, but, I mean, when he was at his peak, like I said, he was so good. I mean, 37 sacks, 255 tackles, three forced fumbles, that's pretty good. Pretty good, and that most of those numbers honestly came in the first half of his career. All right, New York Giants. Uh, they originally took Prince of Mukamara, the cornerback from Nebraska. They have a, I'm ta- I have them taking another corner, but it's Jimmy Smith from Colorado, who was taken in the first round by uh, the 27th pick by Baltimore. Uh, this is also another one of those coin flips, depending on what you prefer. I thought, I think now Jimmy Smith is still the better corner even today. So that's kind of the reason why I picked it. They're both Super Bowl champions, but I mean. It kind of comes up the preference, and I think Prince of Mukamara now isn't the player he was. Jimmy Smith is still a pretty productive player for these Ravens teams. So that's really why I decided to go with Jimmy Smith. Um, so with the Tampa Bay Bucks, we're here with the next pick. They're picking at the 20th slot. Uh, I, they took Adrian Claiborne, defensive end from Iowa. I have them taking Muhammad Wilkerson, defensive tackle from Temple, who was taken with the 30th pick by the New York Jets. Honestly, very surprised at how little accolades Muhammad Wilkerson had because I feel like when he, the Jets were really hitting their stride, he was a really key part of that defensive line, and he only made one Pro Bowl. He had uh, in 108 games in his career so far, 44 sacks, 245 tackles. Um, yeah, I thought he was just like a key part of those defenses. So I think Tampa, which is obviously what they're looking for, some defensive line presence. I think Muhammad Wilkerson, which would eventually get paired up with Gerald McCoy, would be a really good one too. Or maybe they wouldn't, but that's an argument, I guess, if you could, if I'm saying these drafts will impact how the team will be in the future. All right, so here's where the pick really got interesting, because uh, the Cleveland Browns had the 21st pick, and they t- took Phil Taylor, defensive t- tackle from Baylor. Uh, Phil Taylor did not pan out at all for the Browns. What a shock, I know. Browns first-round picks just failing at the seams. That's that's hard to believe, but it did. And um, honestly, I looked at this team, this Browns team, I was like, I had to look at the roster and be like, what on earth did they need? And uh, they had Colt McCoy at the time and Peyton Hill as a running back, uh, but their wide receiver depth chart was horrible. So for that reason, I have them taking Randall Cobb, who was taken in the second round with a 64th pick overall by the Green Bay Packers. Randall Cobb, one of Aaron Rodgers' favorite wide receivers. Uh, 
only made one Pro Bowl, which was pretty weird. But Randall Cobb was fantastic for the the Packers. He's been a very good wide receiver in the game. He hasn't been elite, but he's very serviceable. He's obviously good enough to be in the league still. Wide receivers, if they're not good after a certain point, just drop off or retire. Randall Cobb is now on his third team. He was also very good with the the Cowboys last year, so you can't fault uh, the Browns that they had finally got a wide receiver that was pretty solid that didn't have doping issues. Sorry, Josh Gordon. Um, and uh, so the Colts now are at the 22nd pick. They took Anthony Costanzo, the tackle from BC. I think this was the correct pick for them because I have them picking it again. He's been a very good it's very. It's been a very solid pick for them, and the theme that he's been a stalwart for them on the offensive line is very true. He is still on their O line, and I mean they're going. They've gone through like two kind of renditions of a rebuild, and he's been on both. So obviously they still value him, and I don't think they would trade that pick in for anyone else on the O line that's left. Uh, twenty three, the Philadelphia Eagles. They originally took here Danny Watkins, a guard from Baylor, who did not even really start for them. So instead, I have them taking Mike Pouncey, the guard from Florida. He's a four time Pro Bowler. He also has proved to be very versatile as the Dolphins converted him from guard to center. And uh, he had some very good years for those Dolphins teams. And if the Eagles were really looking for a guard, they definitely wouldn't have been wrong to take Mike Pouncey because very early on in his career, he was highly accoladed. So that would help them regardless all right the saints the 24th pick they took cam jordan defensive end from california the 24th overall pick um i have them now taking kj Wright, the linebacker from mississippi state he was taken in the fourth round and 99th pick by the seattle seahawks uh he's a one-time pro bowler he's also a super bowl champion and he's been a very solid linebacker throughout his entire career i mean he's played 128 games 533 lone tackles that's a pretty impressive career. He's a very solid linebacker, not fantastic, very solid. And obviously, I think the Saints would benefit from having a decent linebacker on that linebacking core. All right, Seattle Seahawks. They took James Carpenter, a tackle from Alabama. Uh, I have them now taking Rodney Hudson, a center from Florida State University. He uh, he was taken the second round and 55th pick by the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. And honestly, for as long as I can remember, the Seattle Seahawks have had terrible offensive line issues. So why not just shore up one of those first-round picks with actually having a productive offensive lineman that could still be on their team today? Now, that being said, I know Rodney Hudson is now on the Raiders, and he has been for the past four years, but he's still productive enough to still be in the league. So I think the Seahawks could definitely benefit from that because I would hardly call their offensive line anything but productive. Kansas City Chiefs here took Jonathan Baldwin uh, at the 26th pick, a wide receiver from Pittsburgh. Uh, Bill Belichick was famous as stating that he thinks that Jonathan Baldwin had the same ceiling as Julio Jones. Oh, God, Bill, you and those wide receivers. You really know how to pick and choose them. Hopefully, Nikhil Harry is a little better than uh, your past few wide receiver proclamations. Um, so I have them taking Torrey Smith here if they really wanted a wide receiver. Torrey Smith was taken with the second pick and second round pick uh, in the 58th spot by Baltimore here. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion, whatever you want to say about Torrey Smith. And he was a huge part of Baltimore's, not so much Phillies, but overall very solid wide receiver. Him and Joe Flacco were boys for that entire playoff run, and those deep bombs give everyone nightmares. I know also Jacoby Jones was a huge part of those teams, but Torrey Smith technically was basically the wide receiver one. So don't forget about that. So if the Kansas City Chiefs really wanted someone to compliment with Dwayne Bowe, I think Torrey Smith would not have been that bad. 
27th pick here, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. They originally took Jimmy Smith, the cornerback from Colorado. I have them now taking Prince of Mukamara. Like I said, the coin flip. But Baltimore still really wants a corner. Prince of Mukamara is a very serviceable player in this league, also a Super Bowl champion with the Eagles. And uh, I think he would – I don't think he would still be on the team. I think he's just like a serviceable corner. But, hey, at the, with the draft, it's kind of a crapshoot. A lot of these players in this draft didn't pan out. Uh, Prince of Mukamara is one of those few that did. So you can't really argue with picking Prince of Mukamara. All right, the 28th pick, New Orleans Saints. They originally took Mark Ingram here, running back from Alabama. I have them still taking Mark Ingram because I think Mark Ingram has been exactly what they wanted, even though he's now on Baltimore. I mean, overall, Mark Ingram was a very solid running back in this league, and he he was best used in a 1-2 system. And there's only one other running back in this draft that I really could think of that could take his spot, but I think he's been in the league longer, and for this reason, Mark Ingram should stay at this pick. Also, he's from he was from Louisiana, so they were not upset probably by getting one of their homegrown players. All right, Chicago Bears originally took Gabe Karimi, a tackle from Washington. I have them taking Kyle Rudolph here, defensive end from uh, tight end from Notre Dame with the second round and the 43rd spot here. Uh, so here's the thing. He's a two-time Pro Bowler, but here's the reason why I really did. When the Bears had the best off and air attack I've seen them have, they used Greg Olson a lot. And I feel like Kyle Rudolph is basically like the same skill set as Greg Olson is. I mean, he's not as flashy on the receiving end, but overall, he's been a very productive tight end in this league, and so is Greg Olson. Greg Olson's not in this draft, though. So I think he would be a great compliment, a great big tight end that's a red zone threat. All right, uh, the 30th pick here, New York Jets originally took Muhammad Wilkerson, the defensive tackle from Temple. I have them taking Malcolm Smith, the linebacker from USC, the seventh round pick, number 242 by Seattle. Yep, Super Bowl MVP Malcolm Smith. Very uh, pretty serviceable linebacker. That's the word I'm going to pick. The Jets were huge into defense at this time. Uh, Their linebackers would definitely get a short-term boost from Malcolm Smith. Maybe this would have been the career he needed to make it a little longer and more serviceable. Um, Malcolm Smith, though, obviously had one great year that uh, on that Legion of Boom team, and I think he his career would kind of be the same if he was on this Jets team, not obviously minus the Super Bowl MVP. Maybe not, though. <laughs> yeah, who am I kidding? It probably wouldn't have been. Um, all right, uh, the 31st pick, they took Cam- the Pittsburgh Steelers took Cameron Hayward, defensive end from Ohio State. Uh, I have them taking Jabal Sheard who was taken in the second round with a 37th overall pick by Cleveland. Super Bowl champ with the Pats. Overall, very good defensive end. Creates a lot of pressure. Still in the league today. Uh, 51 tack- fifty-one sacks, 264 tackles. Overall, if you can't get Cam Hayward, Jabal Sheard is like a little step down. But uh, still very productive. Good defensive end. All right, to finish off this draft, uh, we got the Green Bay Packers at 32. They originally took Derek Schrude, a tackle from Mississippi. I have them going with something a little more exciting here. I have them taking DeMarco Murray, uh, the running back from Oklahoma. He was taken in the third round with the seventh pick by Dallas. Uh, DeMarco Murray, three-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro. He was the player of the year in 2014 for offensive. He had 1,845 yards, 13 touchdowns. He averaged 115.3 yards per game. And he had 2,261 yards off the line of scrimmage. 
that is insane. Now, I wonder what you're thinking. Why didn't you pick him over Mark Ingram? Um, well, his career is already over. It was over in 2017. Mark Ingram is still a very serviceable running back today. So I kind of decided with that over anything else that DeMarco Murray should be the pick behind him. But the Green Bay Packers, I mean, this would help Rodgers for sure. Because Derek Schrude, who let me tell you, he panned out. He, yep. Anyways, uh, yeah. So that's it for the uh, 2011 redraft. If you guys liked this, let me know. Maybe I'll do another one. But uh, without that further ado, let's uh, get into the mailbag. All right. So with uh, the the way the mailbag worked was, I uh, sent something out on Instagram saying I'm doing a mailbag. If you guys have any questions, just uh, DM me. So I got a few here. I think we got about eight. Uh, Ryan Carey wants to know, uh, 2017 Warriors versus any of the old glory teams, the boomers talk about who wins. Um, so I think the Warriors would win. I know that sounds just like the millennial thing to say, but just think about the game from this perspective, the game back then, especially what you're seeing from the last dance is mostly, uh, attacking the rim and mid range oriented. Very rarely are there threes being shot. I mean, in the way that the Warriors play, it's a faster pace. They obviously are very three-oriented. The game today is also extremely faster because, I mean, they're shooting way more. Therefore, the ball is getting moved up and down the court a ton. Fast breaks are much more apparent in the game. The Warriors also just have, like, I don't even know who are you going to – let's just say they played against the Bulls. We'll say they played against the uh, 1996 Bulls. You got Pippen, Rodman and uh michael jordan let's just do a quick thought here who's gonna guard who you're gonna have michael guard i assume clay you're gonna have pippen guard durant and then rodman guard draymond okay who's gonna guard steph i don't know i mean yeah someone can guard him but with the way also athletes today are just trained differently they have much more endurance they have uh they're super focused on diets they really care they treat their body at a different level the game i know you're going to argue the game is more physical how can the game get more physical though if you're just shooting so yeah i really don't think that the warriors could be against like even like the old celtics with bird or the old lakers with magic i mean it's just going to come down to pace it's going to come down to the teams not being able to stay up with the warriors shooting let's just say the warriors shot like 40% from 3 or like 33% for three for the game. The amount of threes that the other team would take would still make it so that the Warriors more likely than not would win. It's just like a math thing. I know that's like the nerd thing to say, but I have to think that the Warriors would win against any of the historic teams. All right, Owen Sullivan here wants to know, uh, what's uh, the favorite sports moment of all time? Uh... Well, this is going to be a little biased for me because I'm I'm a Cavs and a Pats fan and a Mets fan, but obviously the latter has nothing. Um, I'm going to go with uh, – it's either between the Malcolm Butler interception for me or the uh, Kyrie step back. But the Kyrie step back has been kind of salted for me due to the things that have transpired. Uh, Malcolm Butler was definitely the highest high I felt in sports where, I mean, you just felt like you were down and out. And uh, Malcolm Butler just comes in to save the day. I've watched that. I loved that America's game where they just went through or the do that was when the do your job started the, that docu series that followed the they they reached cap the Pat season from beginning to end that was always so cool and when you learned that they practiced that jam at the line of scrimmage with Brandon Browner and Malcolm Butler over and over oh my god 
you get kind of chills just realizing of how cool that was that they practiced that like before the game and then Malcolm Butler was uh kind of struggling with it and then the one time he made it work is when they succeeded that was just something that's pretty cool so I'd have to say that's probably my favorite sports moment of all time he also asked who was your favorite player growing up and who's your favorite player right now um my favorite player growing up well funny story uh the first player I ever like my favorite athlete right off the bat was the reason I even got a fan of sports in general was uh, Patriots running back Corey Dillon. I did not like sports at all for like probably my first seven years of football of my life, not of football. Um, and my dad was a huge Dolphins fan and he'd always be like, oh, watch these games with me. And I had like no interest. And then like for some reason we were watching this game. We were watching uh, what turned out to be some Patriots Colts game. I think it was the 2006 AFC ch- championship game where the Pats lost. And uh, I saw this running back, you know, I'm like, oh my God. That's Corey Dillon. I have a name. My name's Corey, and it was, like, spelled the exact same way. Because, you know, when you're eight, you're just, like, anything's pretty exciting. And you're like, oh, my God, no way. And, uh, yeah, so Corey Dillon was my initial favorite player. Watching him play that one game, wasn't on the Patriots the next year. So that leads me into my favorite player growing up. And as cliche as this is to say, it's definitely Tom Brady for me. I mean, the Patriots were my first team I really loved growing up and Tom Brady has been the face of the franchise for as long as I've been watching he's been basically anytime like when me and my friends would do Madden drafts I would trade like the entire team just to do like just have Tom Brady Tom Brady was always on my fantasy teams growing up even though he's not the best fantasy quarterback ever you know when you're little you don't really think about it you're just like picking all your favorite players Tom Brady really has been like my overall favorite player of all time. I mean, if you go into my bedroom right now, as weird as it sounds, I have like 700 Tom Brady posters and I took like all the sports illustrated covers he's been on. It's like in framed. So I'd say he's probably my uh, favorite player growing up, but my favorite player right now is interesting because I have a few and they like range from like being really good to really, eh, I uh, I'm a I love Matthew Delvadova. I actually have his autograph. I've actually met Matthew Delvadova. I went to a Celtics game and he was training there, and Ma- I was like freaking out. It's like all over. I have a video of it. I will not post it though. It's a little embarrassing how excited I was. But he's definitely up there. I really love I love Luka Doncic. I think he's a really fun player to watch right now. So for basketball, I'd probably say my favorite player to watch because I mean I'm a Cavs fan, so like obviously I like Colin Sexton. And uh, I love Kevin Love, but I don't know if they, I'd say they're my favorite athlete right now. But overall, I'd say my favorite athlete right now is probably Edelman. I mean, just to stick to the Pats because they're like my first favorite team. Cavs are basically like 1B, and then the Mets are like 2 or 3. And, um, yeah, so I'd say I'd say Julian Edelman is probably my favorite athlete right now. Very entertaining off the field, too. All right, Kyle Erickson wanted to know what's your what's a reasonable expectation for Joe Burrow in year one with Cincinnati? Um, I think Joe Burrow in year one is going to be very interesting because you're going to watch a guy who had probably the most touted college offense, which all their offensive players that entered the draft were signed, uh, now be in a team which he's going to have maybe AJ Green if AJ Green decides not to sit out, John Ross, Tyler Boyd. Uh, Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, I think they drafted another running back, and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. 
And they also acquired, obviously, wide receiver through the draft. I'm honestly forgetting who it is, so that's a little embarrassing. It was in the second round, I remember. But I think it's going to be very interesting for him to – I want to see this level of adaptation. I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhat of a struggle. I would think, like, maybe 22 touchdowns, 16 interceptions would seem reasonable. I don't think the Bengals will win more than five games, so I think his thing of, like, he's – this like narrative that he's never been a loser so he won't be in Cincinnati is just false so I hope Joe Burrows uh, gets comfortable with losing because I think they'll do it I don't think he'll be a bust but I'm definitely interested to see this curve that he's gonna have to go through between uh, being a starter on the best college team of all time versus being a starter on arguably the worst NFL team in the league behind Jacksonville (laughs) sorry Jacksonville uh, Riley Thompson wants to know when is Riley Thompson getting put on the track um, I'm assuming this means Riley that you're wondering when you will be on the podcast uh, as I've said before to you I don't know we'll find a topic in which I uh, want to have you on for this is personal Riley so if you're listening to this part I'm expecting you to probably message me telling me something something I won't repeat on the air all right um, next question here is from uh Sam Eggert, what is the likelihood of the Patriots signing Antonio Brown again? Hashtag podcast beef. There is no podcast beef, Sam. And also, I'm going to take this as like a troll question, and I'm actually going to turn it into an interesting question. Um, so the thing about Antonio Brown that's kind of interesting right now is that there's a lot of teams, I think, that not a lot there's a few teams that i think would be wide receiver desperate enough with a terrible structure to allow him in and uh i could see him somehow landing on the jets the lions the jacksonville jaguars or the houston texans but my wild card here is kind of la so la traded away brandon cooks they have cooper cup and robert woods but let's just say they start the season off slow and jared goff is getting a lot of fire uh i could see mcveigh being like, oh, well, I'm going to sign Antonio Brown. And then everyone will be like, oh, McVay, offense of genius. This is totally going to work out. And the reason I say this is, when has McVay not brought in wild cards to the, the Rams, which honestly has been what has crumbled them, I would argue. So let's go through the list of the players he's signed or traded for that has this rep. He signed Sue. He signed Tlaib. He has signed Rams, traded for Ramsey, and he's traded for Peters all of which have huge egos, and they said that this probably wasn't going to work. Uh, I think McVeigh would definitely – it wouldn't surprise me if he took them, but if I had to pick one of the teams I just listed, I would really not be surprised if the Texans or the Jets took him, especially the Jets or Texans, actually. I can't make up my mind between the two because Bill O'Brien has just done such weird things with this roster that don't tell me that's out of question, and the Jets really do need a wide receiver one, seeing as they let Robbie Anderson go. All right. Daniel Fignig wants to know, um, as a concerned Cowboys fan, how does the signing of Dalton impact Dak's future? Uh, it really doesn't. Um, it's kind of like the situation that we have seen in the past where uh, they just don't – I don't think the Cowboys really have prioritized backup quarterbacks since Tony Romo. Uh, I mean, they've had Brandon Whedon, for God's sakes, as their backup at one point, and that was an amazing season that totally panned out. Uh, so I really think this is them just having an insurance policy. I mean, I think the contract with Dak will work out eventually. I would be very shocked if Dak isn't a cowboy for the next five or six years. 
that would just be stupid because I can tell you right now that Dak is probably going to be the best option they have for a decent amount of time. I don't see them being bad enough to getting a low pick, nor do I see Jerry Jones trading everything to get one. Um, Dalton, I mean, it's a, technically a three-year contract. Uh, I mean, a one-year contract worth $3 million. Dollars, but it has seven million left in or four million left in incentives to equal up to seven million. I wouldn't be that worried, Dan. Um, I mean, the situation that I can uh, think of that's even close is the way the Eagles prioritize backup quarterbacks, and it usually pans out for them. And you wouldn't say that it's going to cause a lot of issues for them. If anything, it's only helped them be more successful to have someone that when if when and if someone gets hurt. Uh, they can succeed. Like, look at the Saints, what they did with uh, Drew Brees, with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater came in when Drew Brees was hurt, and they didn't really lose that much of a step, and it helped them still take that third seed in uh, the NFC. So don't be that worried. Also, you asked um, from Dan an opinion on the UEFA coefficient determining who goes into the Champions League in the EPL. That's a great question. Um so here's the thing with the way that the league is right now. So if the league stopped right here, the teams in the UEFA champ, the teams finished Liverpool in first with 82 points, Manchester with 57, Leicester with 50, Chelsea with 45, Wolves with 45, Sheffield with 43, Man U with 42, and Tottenham with 41. So what gets kind of interesting here is without a winner, we don't really have an automatic slot in place, which we could argue that Liverpool would have could have won it. So they could have lost their, they could have gotten an automatic bid, which would have dropped us down a spot. But also, Man City is uh, banned from Champions League for the next few seasons, so they would be out. So let's just say Liverpool, we, they don't, they decide they're not going to have Liverpool win, or they don't take that winning spot from UEFA. So it would be Liverpool, Leicester, Chelsea, and Wolves, which is pretty interesting, especially because fourth place is so close because Chelsea and Wolves are right there. Sheffield is right there. Man U is like up and down, so who knows where they would fall. And Tottenham is also on up and down. So I would say that they just really should just go with the standings the way they are if they're not going to continue the season, which I know is really stupid and really rough. I really want to know what they're going to do with the Champions League now. Are they just going to be like, all right, guys, that was fun. Let's drop it. Because, like, there's – and also Europa plays a role in getting a team a spot in. So how is that going to work? That's another great question. It's really going to shake up the way that the Champions League works out. And I'm sorry I don't really know the exact answer of uh, how will how they'll kind of figure that out. I'm not on the board, obviously, so I can't get into those types of decisions. But as a whole, I would assume that they're probably just going to stick with uh, those in the standings – that are where they are when the league was suspended, unless they resume it. But if not, they'll just keep those, and that's how you'll determine if you get in, which kind of sucks. All right, and to finish it off, we got a question from uh, Margaret Devlin, who said, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? I uh, did. I honestly was not expecting to take non-sports questions, so this is uh, more of a, a left out of left field question. Um, I As boring as this question is to say, I would, uh, I'd say I want to be a, a moon jellyfish. Now, the reason I say this is because I was just did, just did two projects in developmental biology on these, and uh, they have the ability to have Benjamin Button syndrome, or therefore uh, age in reverse. And if I had the ability to age in reverse, but I'm still a jellyfish, I guess, so I'm underwater, 
But, be, hey, living underwater would be pretty cool. You get to see a lot of cool life that not many eyes get to see. You can see all the life that's in the air. So people who say that they want to fly is like it, you can fly on a plane. I know you're going to be like you can fly for free, but, hey, that's, I guess, up to you. But I would take that. I mean, age of reverse, you get to basically see the, the world as you know it. And living underwater, you're basically guaranteed to survive whatever is happening up there because you could just stay down there and just chill for the rest of your time. So, yeah, I guess I would have to say moon jellyfish. I know that is probably the most out-of-left-field answer that someone could probably give. But, uh, yeah, that's it for uh, mailbag questions. Uh, thank you all for uh, sending these. This was fun to do. Uh, I hope to do more of these in the future. So I hope you guys liked the uh, the redraft portion of this episode. That was something I kind of worked about way longer than I thought I would on it. It took me about like two hours to go through that whole thing. So I hope that was fun for you guys. And thanks again all to those who sent me questions through the mailbag. That was fun to do. I like to uh, interact with the audience uh, for those who listen. And obviously a decent amount of you do. And I hope you're all having a good time and uh, listen in for this Thursday.